0: My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. So, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to John's Gospel, um, fifth verse. As you know, we've been going through a series called Give Them Jesus. As we've been walking through the book of John, and we want to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Keith brought a message that he kind of unpacked the miracle of how Jesus healed the man at the pool, and before that, healed an official's son. And so now, as we walk through books of the Bible like this, you know, we have to preach wherever we land. And right now, we're going to land at a part right between where Jesus healed the paralytic man beside the pool, and when he does the feeding of the 5,000. A real rich, sweet, powerful, interesting passage of scriptures, about 30 30 verses long. And this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Let's go right to it. Starting in verse 16. So because Jesus was, was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if you just take that by itself, we say, wow, this is kind of weird, strange. What is it? He just got through healing this man who had been crippled for 38 years. He just got through demonstrating this power, his power and his majesty. And now these Jewish leaders, they look, to not only perse- persecute him, but now they want to kill him. What is that all about? Well, not only were they upset because he healed on the Sabbath. See, that's what they were, that's what the problem, that's why they wanted to persecute him. Because, you know, they were keepers of the law. They knew the law. They knew it very well. You know, they were very much in tune with the law that says, you know, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As a matter of fact, they were so in tune with it, but by this time, they had put all kind of restrictions and all kind of caveats into this simple commandment to the point that it was, uh, you know, they felt it was unlawful, that it was something that was against God for a paralytic to take up his mat on Sabbath, that for Jesus to even do this act on the Sabbath, we won't try to repreach what we talked about two weeks ago, but I want you to get the context in which is, this is in. And so, Jesus, Jesus, you know, in his defense, it says, now that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a mouthful all by itself, in his defense, he said to you them, know, My Father's always at work to this very day, and I am working too. And see, when he said that, when he said, My Father, you know what they took from that? Oh, now not only are you going to do things on the Sabbath, but now you relate, you kind of you making yourself like equal with God, even though he was. They just didn't know it. Or they couldn't recognize it. They didn't realize it. But this this took it up to another level. They said, not only do we want to persecute now, we need to kill you because and you say, well, that's kind of over the top, that's kind of dramatic. But see, these were Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who were very, very much astute, and they knew the law backwards and forward. They knew it. They knew it so well that they knew. You know, somewhere in the Bible says that they knew every dot and tittle, every little mark that was around the word. They could recite it to you. They could. They knew how many words, how many letters were in the Old Testament. They were very, very knowledgeable. But they had a. You know, they were referring back, and Jesus knew this. They were referring back to Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, it said that if you were going to convict anyone, accused of any crime or offense, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Jesus knew that. But what was his response, I wonder? Here it was, they wanted to kill him. Well, the part we're not going to take time to unpack all the way is found between verses 19 and in verse 29, read them for yourself sometime, but you would think that if somebody's getting ready to kill you, you might want to back up a little bit and say, wait a minute, hold on, man. Hey, wait a minute, you got to understand what's going on here. But no, not our Jesus. He launches right in with both barrels. Look, look what he says in verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, only do, he can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. It doesn't sound like anybody that's bagging off. sounds like somebody that's going full speed ahead. Full speed ahead. And then he gets down to verse 30 and 31. And he says something quite remarkable. As he's continuing to, to let him know who he was and why he was who he was and what kind of relationship he had with the Father, he gets to verse 30 and 31 and, and listen to these words. He says, by myself I can do Nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. And then this next line, listen this real carefully. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another one who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. That's kind of strange, a little different. Now, don't think for a moment that Jesus is saying that his words are not true. But like I said just a minute ago, what he knew, see, he was meeting them right where they were, right where they were. Even though these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, had every intent, Jesus knew why they thought the way they thought. Because they were referring back to the law, which they were so good at. They were referring back to that law that said, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what Jesus is doing is he's meeting them right where they are and building a case. He's building a case to defend himself against their accusations. Against what they thought they knew. Against their attempt to not only persecute him, but now kill him. You know, Jesus is doing a couple of things here. First, he's very subtly telling the Jewish leaders, you don't have enough witnesses against me to legally convict me because you don't have two or three. And while they were so worried about Jesus breaking their version of the Sabbath laws, they were in direct violation themselves. This was a way of Jesus kind of showing their hypocrisy to them. But that wasn't all he was doing. Even as he was pointing out their hypocrisy, He was completely fulfilling the letter of the law. It's Jesus, who we know to be God, who we know to be all powerful. He could have handled this dispute all kinds of ways, but he chose to do it in a manner that they clearly understood. How many witnesses did the Old Testament say that you need to have? How many? A minimum of how many? Maybe if it's a tough situation, you need to have how many? Three. But you know what? In the next few minutes, we're going to see what Jesus does even better than that. Father, we just pray right now as we unfold this message, as you've given it to us, Lord, that your spirit will guide and direct. Your words will be clear. Your spirit will be free to roam in this place. Have your way, Lord. Father, I pray now that you give me focus to preach this word as you have put it in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I grew up in a home where my father, he he was a fan of what he called those lawyer shows. You know, lawyer shows. You know, I don't know, any of y'all remember Perry Mason? Perry Mason was required viewing in our household. You know, Perry Mason, and then after Perry Mason went off the scene, you know, Ironside came after him. And then, you know, even in, in, in recent years, now, he'll watch, you know, they got Matlock um, reruns. He'll watch that. I think he'll watch it all day, every day. It's something about the courtroom scene that he just loves. And, you know, I, I kind of do too. I like, I like it. You know, they, got the, they have the defendant and they have the, the, the prosecutor and the defense attorney and they have the, 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 the victim and the witnesses. And, and there's something about the witnesses, though. You know, the witnesses come up and they take the stand and, and you know, they, they say something. You know, they raise their hand. You know how they say it? I swear to affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the title of our message today. The truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth, and that's what Jesus begins to unfold to these Jewish leaders in these few verses that we have before us. Let's take a look at what, what how, he, how he does that. You know, we said earlier that it required two to three, but he's going to present four, and they're right here in the scripture. You want to see him? Okay, we could go home. Nobody wants to see him. Anybody want to see him? All right, then. Okay, well, let's start. Let's start. As a matter of fact, we can start at verse 32 through 35. He said, first, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mentioned that you might, may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Now, Jesus was claiming to be God, and he could have defended himself, but he decided to go along with the way they do business, and he called a witness. And the first witness that he called of all people was a human being. He is God of the universe, but he chooses to call a human being as his first witness. He had all creation at his disposal, but he calls John the Baptist, someone that they were familiar with, someone who had been out in the wilderness eating honey and locusts and proclaiming the word of the Lord. He chose John the Baptist because these Jewish leaders, they were familiar with this John the Baptist. And they would have known about John the Baptist. You know, back in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 29, that's when he told the crowds, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, John the Baptist could testify as to who he was. John the Baptist, in verse, in, 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 you go on in chapter 3, in, in uh, verse 34 and 36, John went on to say, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God for God, giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus rebinded his accusers of how John the Baptist testified that he was God, that he bore witness to the truth, that he was a prophetic light to them. And not only did he remind them, though, he reminded them also that they grew tired of John the Baptist. You know, and as, I, as, I, as, I, as I talk about this part right here, because you say, well, what does that got to do with me right now? You no, know, God sends people our way to proclaim his good gospel. He sends people our way to proclaim who he really is. And yeah, yeah, it's not John the Baptist. We read about him now, but we have people in the living flesh. We come to places like this. We go to our small groups. We go to Bible studies, and people, people verbally talk to us and lead us. That's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is one person. Tell another person where to go get bread if you're hungry. And we hear this, but you know something that we do sometimes? We grow tired of the voice. And that's what they did because they grew tired of John the Baptist's voice. That's what he said to them. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He calls another witness. Because see, if John the Baptist didn't do it, he had another witness that he called to the stand. And he called to the stand now, he called to stand his own miracles. Get the picture now. The courtroom scene has been set. There's the Pharisees on one side. You know, looking, staring, in all their fancy clothes, and all their righteousness. And here's Jesus on the other side defending himself. And he's called John the Baptist, but maybe that didn't quite do it. Maybe it didn't do it for us. We need something more. We need something more to believe that he is who he says he is. So Jesus abides. You know, Jesus goes along with it and he calls to the witness stand his miracles. His miracles. See, John the Baptist in all of his goodness and all of his power, he didn't perform miracles. But Jesus did. Jesus did. They knew it. They had just witnessed it, didn't they? A paralytic for 38 years, they got up, took his mat, and walked. And and you know what? They missed the miracle because they were so concerned about keeping the law. And that's how it is sometimes. Sometimes God brings a miracle right here and put it right down in front of us. But we're so concerned with all the trappings behind it that we missed the very miracle that God presented for us to show us the way and point us to him. And that's what happened here. Because in his miracles, he raised the dead. In his miracles, he gave sight to the blind. You know, he healed. He, he raised, you know, he did all of these things. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist himself, you remember when he had doubts about who Jesus was? You know, in Matthew 11, John sent some disciples uh, to Jesus to ask the question. In verse 3 it says, and, and they said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Remember how Jesus responded to him? In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3, it said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do not hear and see. The The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus did these miracles not just to make people believe, not just to attract a crowd, even though they did attract crowds, But you know why he did them? He did them to point them to the Father who gets all the glory for the miracles. So he had two witnesses. John the Baptist, miracles. But then he calls a third witness. Look at verse 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me You have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent. The father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. It's almost like Jesus is kind of poking with them now. Remember who they are. They are the extremely religious people of the time. They were God's chosen people, and they knew it. Not only did they know it, they let everybody else know it too. And even though all of Israel was God's chosen people, these particular people he were talking to, he was talking to, they were the elite, they were the Pharisees. They wore their righteousness on their sleeve. the clothes that they wore told people how religious that they were. The way they talked told people. Just who they were. The way they ate and who they ate with told people just how religious they were. They prayed out loud so people could hear them and know just how religious they were. If anyone should be in touch with God, it ought to be these people. You know, he, he, he said in there, you have, n- you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. And you know, that might have been true for a lot of people that was listening that day but I'm quite sure some of them either were there or they heard about the day John baptized Jesus in that river. Some of them might have been there. You remember what happened? There was an audible voice on that day. You remember what was said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, God the Father himself testified that Jesus is God the Son. Look at that, that'll be enough. Don't you think? Like after that, they would have get it. They would say, okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I understand. But I think maybe that didn't do it because Jesus went further and he called another witness. And this witness is one that I think really wrecked their world. verse 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This fourth witness that Jesus called was the very word that they prided themselves in knowing so well. He called to the witness saying, his word, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament that they had, not so much in writing, but they had up here in their head because they could tell it to, their, to whoever they needed to tell it to at the drop of a dime. Surely when it was time for them to beat them across the head with it, they knew every detail of it. They knew it backwards and forwards. And yet he says... The scripture points to me. How could they miss it? How could they not see it? They spent all their lives, all their adult lives studying it, learning it, getting it down to memory, being able to apply it. But see, the problem was that's what they were doing. They was was using it to apply it in the life of others and not to themselves. The word... How could they have missed it, I wonder? You know, it means that they might have known a lot about the Bible, the Word. But you know what? They didn't know the God of the Word. They didn't know the God of the Bible. If they had known the one who authored every single letter they would have known that the one who was standing before them was he. How do you say that, Derek? How, how can you, you back that up? Oh, it's simple. Because if they really knew what was behind the stories and the words that they read in their word, they would have known that in Exodus, that Passover lamb is pointing to Jesus. In Numbers, in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, when Moses hit that rock, and when he lifted up that, that snake, he was pointing to Jesus. They would have known that. They were known that as they read about Joshua, that they were known that the captain of the Lord host that came to defend them, that he was really pointing to Jesus. They were known in the story of Ruth, they were known in the story of Ruth that this, this kinsman redeemer was a foreshadowing of the one and only Jesus the Christ. If they really knew the God who had inspired it all, if they really knew what was behind it, they would have known that in Esther, as they read the story of that, they would have known that it was pointing to Jesus who was the advocate for his people. Even in Job, even in the book of Job, when Job laid out his life and how he went from nothing to everything being restored. They would have known that this story was put there, this account was put there to point the way to Jesus because he is the ever-living Redeemer. Even in the Song of Solomon, if they really had known who he was, they would have known that he is the long-awaited beloved bridegroom. In Daniel, when Daniel saw that vision, saw the Son of Man, it was pointing to Jesus in Hosea. After, G, after God kept telling him to go back to that unfaithful woman, they were known that an example of Jesus, who is the redeeming husband of the adulterous wife, and that we are example of that adulterous wife. In Jonah, when he ran and the whale spit him up, they would have known, they was pointing to Jesus, who is the resurrection. See, if they had really known who was behind what they were reading, they would have seen him and accepted him, him as Savior and as Lord. So you may ask, what does that have to do with me? We don't live back in that day. We don't live back in that time. Oh, surely we are so much better than these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders. We don't, we don't. But you know what? As I was preparing, you know, I, I, I love to preach, but Sometimes when you're preaching through the Bible, I, I, I don't know how I landed on this particular message because it comes between these two great, I mean, if, I could, if I had preached last week all about that, that prayer, I mean, I had that message all ready and go, man, I could have delivered that thing. Oh, for, oh, next week, come back, we're going we're gonna to talk about him feeding the 5,000, but no, he said, no, Dick, I want, you to, I want you to stay right here, right here. I want you to stay right here and I want you to rest with this for a while because, see, this needs, you need to hear this. Because, see, I, I'm saved, I'm walking with the Lord, but, you know, maybe you like me. Some of us have areas of our lives, things about us that we've been holding on to because we really don't believe that he is who he says he is. That's what, that's what, it, that's what it amounts to. See, if we're still trying to figure it out, if we're still trying to wrestle with it ourselves, if we're still trying to, trying to if we're up all night pacing the floor because we can't figure it out, if we're doing that, we're doing the same thing. Just in a little slightly different way than these people we just got through talking about, because we don't trust him enough to accept him as Lord and Savior of our lives. There's some of us in here, a room with all these people in here. There's, there's I, I know. I feel. I, i certain that there may be someone in here. You know what? You, you see those four witnesses that Jesus get those four witnesses. Those four witnesses called back up for us. You say, okay, I, I, I talked about this earlier. John the Baptist, I, you know, that's, that's, we don't even deal with that anymore. I read about it in the Bible, but he sent someone your way. He sent people to, t- to share with you the word of the Lord, and they've been doing it over and over again. But you know what? You haven't accepted it. You always find some fault with it. You always say, tomorrow, the next day. And see, we too can fall in this category where we don't really accept him and believe that he is who he says he is. Or maybe the miracles. Maybe the miracles. You say, well, Derek, I, you know, this is not a time of miracles anymore. You know, nobody getting raised from the dead. Well, we, we don't, may not see it. That doesn't mean it's not being done. But you know other thing? Sometimes miracles are right here in front of us, and we don't acknowledge them to be what they really are. In the first service, I was sharing, you know, a miracle that I've, I've, I've you know, it just came to me that this is a miracle, a real-life miracle that I just saw last week when my father was sitting right there, right there next to where you are, Jay. He was sitting on that end seat right there. A miracle. Here's a man, 79, getting ready to be 80 years old, who, who, who less than a year ago went bypass 35 bypasses. And not only did he recover, but he recovered enough for me to see him with my own eyes, travel 300 miles to sit here in the worship service room. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And sometimes we have trouble seeing those miracles in our very lives. But as I look across this sanctuary this morning, I'm seeing all kind of people. I'm not going to call your name because I don't want to tell all your business, but I'm seeing people here and here and here and here and here and here with miracles. God has brought miracle upon miracle to you. And anybody can testify to the power of Jesus Christ because you have seen a miracle in your own very life. (laughs) The Father... Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I'm like you. I don't hear any audible voices. And if I did, I'd keep them to myself before y'all get ready to lock me up, you know. I don't hear any audible voices. But you know what I do here? I hear this Holy Spirit down inside of me, telling me, no, don't do that. You need to do this. Telling me, no, that's wrong and you know it. Telling me you need to confess, you need to ask forgiveness telling me that I am worthy, that I am his son. I feel the Holy Spirit. Has anybody ever felt the Holy Spirit just rise up inside of you? Has anybody aware that the Holy Spirit is with you? Has anybody in the room felt the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Has anybody felt that? And then his word. You say, well, Derek, what do you mean by that? They knew the law. They knew the word as they had it backwards and forwards. But maybe you like me, and I don't spend enough time in it. It's so readily available now. But you know, I'd rather watch them lawyer shows than pick up the word about or the word. I just love it when God just kind of brings the lawyer shows and just bring the word with it, and I get a little bit of both, you know. But the fact of the matter is that I think it's been proven that we, despite all the advances that we have, we're some of the most biblically illiterate people walking the face of the earth. What does that do for us? It puts us in a position to where Really don't believe he is who he says he is. I like those that serve the community to come ahead and get the elements ready. I like the band to come on and make your way out. Somebody told me before the service started, said, Yeah, you preaching today is going to be short like you are. As much as I want to prove them wrong, no, this, this is all God asked me to share today. Because I sense very strongly that what he wants to do more powerfully in this service this morning is he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to speak to you this morning. I want to leave we want to leave plenty of room for that to happen. Now they're going to take their positions up here, and don't worry, don't rush. You know, right now is not the time to respond, not, not the time, to, if you can help it, to go take a break. Because right now, I think it might be one of the most powerful moments in this entire service. It's a time for us to bow our heads. It's a time for us to just listen to the still, small voices speaking to our hearts. I wonder, I wonder this morning, as Jesus has made his defense for why he is the Son of God and why he is worthy to be our Lord and our Savior. I wonder if anybody in here, all of a sudden, just realized that I've been rejecting him all my life. Oh, I come to church. I even go to a Bible study. Sometimes we even teach Bible study because, you know, just knowing the word is not it. But the fact of the matter is, I have some serious doubts. And I never have gotten to the point that I really believe that he is who he says he is. That's a bad place to be. But the good news is is that he's ready to welcome you in into his kingdom right here this morning. As we have our eyes closed, our heads bowed, I'm going to ask a question. If you know for yourself, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all I want to ask you to do is just simply raise your hand in there right where you are. And I follow that question with this question. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you know that you have areas of your life, closets in your house, corners in your heart that you have kept him out of, because you really didn't believe that he could make a difference and the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning that you need to let that go you need to let him in you need to depend on him